Coloradans spend tens of millions of dollars on flavored tobacco and vaporizer products every single year. They make up a huge segment of the nicotine market. And now the state legislature is debating a bill to ban them. On this episode of Purplish, we'll explain how this is touching off a discussion not just about public health and personal liberty, but also racial justice. And it's even raising some fundamental questions about how the state makes money off of harmful products. To help us sort it all out, we're bringing in CPR South reporter John Daly. Hey, Andy. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Glad we, to be here. A purplish first-timer. Indeed. So, John, we really like to start with personal stories that help to explain some of these complex topics. I wonder if you've heard from somebody that's going to lead us into this debate. Yeah, you bet. Let me introduce you to Leanne Wheeler. Okay. Her family's experience led her very specifically to this year's fight at the legislature. My earliest memory of my father is, is holding a cigarette, Pall Mall. He started smoking Pall Malls um, and ultimately would smoke Lucky Strikes filterless uh, menthol. Well, Leanne's dad had started smoking as a young golf caddy at age 12, and by the time she was growing up, he was really trying to quit. Every year on his birthday, March the 1st, he'd make a commitment to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit on my birthday. It sounds like it never really stuck, huh? No, it didn't last long. Leanne's birthday comes late in the same month, and almost every year he'd be smoking again by then. And by the time she was an adult, he was really suffering. When they'd visit, they'd go golfing with some other friends, and he'd hide how sick he was. And I would later find out um, that my father was getting sick on the golf course, um, and he would be coughing up blood. Oh, wow. And it sounds like he's getting sick from the cigarettes. Indeed. It got worse and worse until Leon was diagnosed with stage four, meaning advanced lung cancer, and he died less than a year later. He absolutely suffered. Um, He was in agony uh, up until the time he died. Around the time of his diagnosis, Leanne Wheeler decided to make a change. She'd been working on veterans issues for the Department of Defense, Mm -hmm. and she decided to get involved in advocacy about tobacco with a group called the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. Ah. And it wasn't just personal. From her dad dying, Leanne is African-American, and this affects her whole community. Mm. Tobacco companies have long targeted black Americans, people like her father, particularly with advertising for menthol-flavored cigarettes and those brands she mentioned, like Paul Malls and Lucky Strikes. But this is a public health issue. The racist part is the intentional targeting by the industry. Leanne's part of what's really been a multi-year campaign to get these products and a lot of others banned in Colorado. And this year, they're taking on their most ambitious fight yet, state law. I'm doing it because I believe it's the right thing to do. That's why I'm doing it. So what we're seeing at the Capitol is that Wheeler and other advocates have picked this year to, they think, they hope, be the session that they finally get something really bold done to ban these flavored tobacco and nicotine products altogether. But they're up against some really serious opposition on a few different fronts, and the fate of this whole effort is very much in doubt. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about politics and policy I'm Benta Berkland. I'm Andrew Kenny, and as you've heard, we've got CPR's health reporter John Daly. He's a purplish newbie. 
That's right. Hi there. Hey, John. Hey. So, John, you're coming off two years of covering COVID, obviously a very intense story. And you decided not to sit back and take a breath or whatever. You've instead dived into one of the most expensive and intensive fights being waged at the Capitol right now. Yeah, that's right. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment here. But, uh, you know, what's happening is that the specific kind of flavored cigarette Leanne Wheeler's dad smoked, menthols, Mm -hmm. are right at the center of an argument about whether Colorado's state government should ban a lot of flavored nicotine products. Yeah, they're discussing a so-called flavor ban of not just menthol, but also all kinds of flavored vape products like a lot of younger people, really young, are now using in troubling numbers. Unsurprisingly, it hasn't turned out to be easy. It hasn't? No. The tobacco industry is big (laughs) and powerful and profitable. Mm. Uh, One estimate had it at a $50 billion a year Mm. business nationally in terms of revenue. It's estimated to spend more than $8 billion a year on marketing Mm -hmm. with more than $125 million spent on marketing in Colorado a year. Wow. And- these flavors, before we get into like the actual legislative fight, I just want to make sure I understand the, the menthol cigarettes and the fruity flavored vapes. What role, what part are, are those playing in the industry today? Well, surveys have shown that many teens start consuming nicotine with flavored products. Mm. And these products are sold in a variety of locations like convenience stores and vape shops, mm-hmm. which are often small businesses. These stores rely on these products for a healthy chunk of their revenue and as a draw for customers to come into the store and perhaps buy other things as well. So this topic of flavored tobacco and the big role it plays in the market now is highlighting deep political and philosophical divides when it comes to the question of how the government should or should not try to improve people's health. To the proponents, it's a clear-cut case of government intervention that could save a lot of people from a lot of health problems, from addictive products, and literally save lives. On the other hand, opponents worry about the outsized role of government here and also about the cascading consequences that could come from a ban like this. One of them is the potential for black market operations. Also, the state would lose tens of millions of dollars in tax revenue, and Colorado relies on that money for other priorities. There's also the issue of personal choice. To help you understand what's happening this year, let's rewind a bit and explain why this year's bill is actually the culmination or a culmination of decades of work by tobacco reformers and why they think they can pull it off this year. All the stuff they had to do before to get to this point. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating, Andy, that the fight over tobacco goes back decades. You know, some of us even recall when they allowed smoking on airplanes. Yeah, Uh, I I had to look up when that ended. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm old enough to remember uh, flying on those planes, and it was a big change when that was gone. Smoking on airplanes in the U.S. commercial flights was mostly phased out around the late 80s. But the fight in Colorado really picked up momentum again with a ban on smoking in workplaces, restaurants, and bars. Mm. Of course, this is out of health concerns, and secondhand smoke was a big issue. And Colorado was kind of at the forefront. It passed a ban in 2006, one of the earlier states to do that. I was living in North Carolina when they passed a similar bill a few years later. And yeah, it was big deal. It took a little longer there because North Carolina is such a huge tobacco state. Right. 
it did change. And I like to say it's one of those things where you couldn't imagine it happening before it happened. And then afterwards, you're kind of like, how, how was it ever the old way? So, John, was this the last big policy fight over smoking before vaping really started to become an issue? Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And then think about in the 2010s, vaping comes along. It's a revolutionary new delivery device that is a game changer, right? And one of the things that happens is that people start consuming tobacco again when it had been on the decline Mm -hmm. for the years before that, right? So that just changes the whole landscape of this issue. When young people start to take it up, there starts to be concerns about their health and the long-term implications of that. And it becomes a national story out of the Hmm. uncertainty about the health consequences. So this is all happening several years after the last big action on smoking. These new products, were they covered already by the existing laws on tobacco? Did the state have a firm like regulatory handle on them? No, it was kind of a Wild West scenario. There were a lot of restrictions on traditional tobacco, what kind of warning labels it has to have, how it can be marketed. But when vaping comes around in the 2010s, it's a revolutionary new delivery platform, and there really isn't any of that. So these products were pretty widely available, even to kids. And John, there were health concerns about this pretty early on, right? That's right. You know, especially when some younger users started getting sick and even dying a few years ago, you'll recall, uh, in particular from a black market additive that was found in some widely available products. There were thousands that were hospitalized, dozens died. It really became a national debate over what to do to make sure vaping products are safe or whether they could ever be considered safe. Tonight, the CDC trying to extinguish the health emergency linked to e-cigarettes, telling users if you vape, stop, until it figures out why so many people are getting serious lung injuries. I didn't think that that little pod could do so much damage. Like Every day we're hearing about a vaping illness or death, and health officials, they say that most of the patients are young and male. And that's when you started to see parents getting involved and joining health advocates and doctors and calling for government response. And just explain a little bit how the government has responded up until this point. Well, you know, we started to see a wave of reforms, uh, starting with what's called T21, Hmm. uh, Tobacco 21, no sales of tobacco. That includes vaping to those under 21. Mm -hmm. And that's because much of the fight has really been over trying to find ways to keep kids from using these products and become addicted to them. That's, that was the worry. Hmm. And that movement had a really strong playbook. It started in some cities and getting cities to raise the age, and then states joined. Colorado did it in 2020, and the federal government also raised the legal age to purchase tobacco nationwide as well. So you went city to state to feds. Uh, also in 2020, another thing that Colorado did was that Governor Jared Polis helped to convince voters to raise taxes on tobacco and nicotine products and used the money to pay for preschool. A big part of the message also was that by raising the cost of these products, that it would force some users to cut back or quit, especially kids who don't always have the most pocket change available. And so this all brings us to to where we are this legislative session. Mm -hmm. The real showdown we're seeing over whether to outlaw whole parts of this market, Mm -hmm. whole types of products. Lots of debate is centered on banning these flavors. We know that we have this new health problem that has reinvigorated the tobacco and nicotine reform movement. We've heard about these really high personal stakes for many of the people involved. 
And what we're about to hear next is how this specific idea of a flavor ban really started gaining momentum in the cities, specifically in the city of Denver, and why that's led to those sharp divides that we were talking about earlier. John, let's talk a little bit more about what happened in Denver that led to the big state fight we're now seeing. So Denver is the biggest city in the state. It's kind of been at the forefront of some of this stuff. The city passed T21, Tobacco 21, in Mm -hmm. 2019 before the statewide action. And the big question was whether Denver would then lead on flavors like menthol and flavored vaping products. And at the time, I asked Mayor Michael Hancock about flavors He was open to prohibiting them, but hedged that maybe it should be a state action. You know, it's something that uh, we've got to pay very close attention to and and something that hopefully working with the state legislature, we we may may be able to do that. I mean, doing it in Denver, you know, I don't think is is, is wise to do it versus doing it statewide. But these flavor bans and vaping, black market vaping products that are out there today, Um, are really putting people in danger, and we need to move quickly to address it. So that's Mayor Hancock in 2019 saying that he liked the idea of a flavor ban, wanted the state to do it, not necessarily the city. But did the city end up taking up this debate, the city council taking up this debate over the flavor ban? Yes, it did last year in 2021. And by this time, a half a dozen smaller towns in Colorado had banned flavors. And Other cities and states were doing this as well around the country. Mm -hmm. And a big flavor ban proposal in Denver was making its way through city council. It was one of the most hotly debated topics at meetings. Well, how'd it go? Well, on the one side, there were frantic parents and health experts and anti-tobacco advocates. On the other side, you had business owners and convenience stores, vape shops, employees of those places, and people who said that these products had helped them quit smoking Ah. traditional cigarettes. And opponents also had one big and maybe surprising voice, former Denver mayor Wellington Webb. Wellington Webb is Denver's first black mayor, and he's a huge voice in Denver and statewide politics and a mentor to a lot of Democrats, including Denver's current mayor, Michael Hancock. What were his objections? Well, Mayor Webb said for him it was about equity says the ban itself targets people of color, giving police a reason to stop a person who's smoking to see if they're smoking menthol. And he told me he's in line with a libertarian sort of view on this, that the government should let people make their own decisions and leave the community alone. When you're 21 years old, you should be able to pick and decide what you want to do. To me, that's the key issue. You're going to ban sugar? That's a big issue in the black community as it relates to diabetes. Government can't continue to overreact. And you can't have policy that says that you can't smoke a menthol cigarette, but you can smoke all the dope you want. That doesn't make sense. And when it comes to menthol, it really is a product used a lot more by smokers of color. A study from 2020 found they're used by 85% of black Americans who smoke compared to less than a third of white tobacco users. Hmm. But we should also mention Webb has a consulting company, and one of his clients is RJR Reynolds. That is a tobacco company. And so Webb, who gets paid by the industry, argues that the city shouldn't tell black tobacco users that they can't have these products, that basically it's paternalism, that you're trying to solve our health problems by regulating the choices that individuals should be free to make, even if it's harmful. 
But again, folks like Leanne Wheeler, who we heard from in the beginning of the episode, have a mirror image, like a totally opposite interpretation of what this product has done to the black community and how it should be handled. That's right. Her view is that industry has targeted the community via marketing of these flavors to the profound detriment of its health. And the government's role should be to protect public health. And this whole tobacco issue took on a new equity focus, a new urgency mm -hmm. with the resurgence of the social justice movement. For reformers, they see menthol as just another vehicle for harm that was inflicted on black communities. That's the message you hear from activists like Brother Jeff Fard. How does this predatory industry continue to make billions off of menthol? And those are primarily communities of color, uh, specifically black communities. And now that you look at the research, it looks more like it's more marginalized communities that are constantly being targeted. In other words, those communities that are disposable in society. We have Denver, a democratic city that has a lot of influential black politicians and community leaders. They are not unified on this issue. In fact, some are very far apart. And in the end, that really doomed this effort. Well, last year, the council did pass the bill, but Mayor Michael Hancock vetoed it. Hmm. And so is that pretty rare for Hancock to do that? Yeah, it was only the second time in a decade. Hmm. And then the city council did attempt to override that veto, and that vote fell just one vote short. Hmm. This all leads to some real disappointment and outcry. I find it appalling. Brother Jeff Fard, who we just heard from, criticized both the former and current mayors for turning their backs on the health of community members. And particularly... You, you, there's a whole Black Lives Matter movement that has taken place. You've got the reforms that have taken place following the death of George Floyd. And then you're going to tell me that I'm going to veto or I'm going to be, use my political capital, my influence to stand on, on the side of an industry that is responsible for more deaths annually of Black people than anything anyone has protested against since the founding of this country. I talked to Mayor Hancock about this, and he says he spoke to people on both sides of the issue, like former Mayor Webb and many others. He didn't want to respond directly to critics like Brother Jeff Fard, but he did say it's a tough issue to be in the middle of. No, no, listen, I, I don't get into that kind of conversation. You know, there are people on both sides who felt very strongly about this issue uh, some who are dear friends who, you know, uh, shared with me that they wanted me to let, you know, to sign the bill. And there are some dear friends on both sides of this issue. I made the decision based on the facts and the fact that if we really did want to do something. Let's go to the state and let's do something. So even though it didn't work for reformers in Denver last year, they now have an even bigger opportunity at the state capitol. House Bill 1064 would ban flavored tobacco for all locations where it's sold, all variations of flavored tobacco. That includes menthol and flavored vaping products. It's being sponsored by an interesting mix of lawmakers, and one of them is Kyle Malka. He's the only nurse in the legislature, and he works in an ER. He'd been working on this nicotine issue for a while, and when I asked him, he told me that this was the biggest bill yet that he'd tackled on this subject. It's a huge step. Um, 
you know, and so, you know, I think it shows that Colorado is taking this issue seriously uh, and that we're going to do something about it. And we're not going to stand by while uh, big tobacco and, and the vaping industry markets to our kids and gets our kids addicted to these products that uh, make them lifelong customers, um, but is detrimental to their development. And it's not unusual for Malika, who is a Democrat, to take on issues that are controversial, even within his own party. Yeah, because Democrats do hold the majority in both legislative chambers. He's worked on legislation to try to increase Colorado's immunization rate. It hasn't always been successful. But again, these are issues that the party, as we've seen, was what happened in Denver. Democrats are not unified on this. And Malika, of course, is not alone on the bill. It's also sponsored by Representative Jennifer Bacon and Senator Rhonda Fields. Both are Black women with a lot of clout in the legislature. When I spoke to Bacon, she very much agreed with the idea that tobacco marketing has had a disproportionate impact on black communities. And she spoke a little bit that the idea of banning menthols has split some black leaders. We were disproportionately targeted to get stuck on something. And now we're arguing to keep it, even though it's harmful, because no one wants to support us in getting off of it. There's one more main sponsor on the bill, Republican Senator Kevin Priola. Remember how I said at the beginning, when it comes to tobacco, many people have a story. Yeah. Priola and his family told me their story back in early 2020, just before the pandemic hit, about the struggles with vaping of their then 17-year-old son. It was obvious he was addicted to it. He would say he could give it up, but he couldn't give it up. They decided as a family to speak out, hoping to educate people about the rise and dangers of teen vaping. So these are the four lawmakers really trying to push this through the legislature. For Priola, you know, he's the only Republican sponsoring the bill. So that puts him a little bit at odds with his party. Republicans typically are not going to like the government telling a business what to do and aren't supporting banning things. So there is a partisan difference there as well. I would say this bill has been very slow going. Mm -hmm. This bill was introduced very early on, two days after the legislative session began back in January. Mm -hmm. Here we are months later. It's still in the first chamber in the House. Wow. It's had two hearings, but it's still awaiting a third hearing before it can even go to the House floor. So a very long process to even get to this point nearing the end of session. And they are facing pretty intense lobbying pressure. The Colorado Sun took a look at this and they found this is the third most lobbied bill this entire session. Mm. They tallied up 141 lobbyists working for 87 clients. Wow. <laughs> I think that qualifies as a murder of lobbyists. <laughs> it's a lot of lobbyists. So pretty similar debate that we've heard at the state level as we heard at the Denver level. One interesting thing I wanted to pick out was that I heard a spokeswoman for Smoker Friendly, which is a chain of tobacco stores. She said that they would lose 30% of their business if you banned menthols and flavored nicotine products in Colorado. And she also said that this would just drive people up to Cheyenne, Wyoming to buy from their other store there, which is already booming because of Colorado's recently raised tobacco taxes. She said people would just run it back down I-25 and create this big black market. And so why even bother? And Andy, that's a lot of what we heard from opponents of this bill in the legislature talking about how devastating, if this passed, this would be on their business. One of those business owners, Jason Casados, is from Pueblo. He mm. told lawmakers he supports efforts to keep flavored tobacco out of the hands of minors, but thinks that this bill is not the way to accomplish that. I've been in this industry for 13 years. I employ over 35 full-time employees. 98% of our products 
that we sell and manufacture are flavored nicotine products. This bill will put me out of business. You also saw some big questions from fellow Democrats like Representative Chris Kennedy, who introduced an amendment that would have allowed certain stores to keep selling the products with the idea that you just reduce where you can buy them and that'll hopefully work. And that did not go over well with the sponsors. I think that what I was hoping to do with my amendment in committee was drive a conversation about trying to achieve the goal of reducing youth access without impairing adult access. There are reasonable differences of opinion. The sponsors feel pretty strongly that you can't do both at the same time. And um, I wanted to explore the possibility that maybe we could. That amendment did get tacked on the bill for a while, but they sat down and talked it out. And later the amendment came back off. But that shows you, again, those intra-party debates. As we often talk about on Purplish, though, there's one Democrat who we pay a little bit more attention to, and that's Governor Jared Polis, because yep. he really does have an outsized role in this. And I heard one sponsor say, you know, it's not Polis's favorite bill, uh-huh. which I think we know that. And it's not surprising because he's known for having a libertarian streak. Mm-hmm. And, and this bill is about telling adults they can't make a decision to use a product they might want to use. And uh, Polis has said that this should be handled at the local level, that he prefers local control. Which is funny because we just heard about Mayor Michael Hancock and he said he wanted it to happen at the state level. Yeah, it just goes round and round like a game of hot potato. There's also one other thing at play when it comes to Polis and this flavored tobacco ban. If you'll remember, we mentioned that about two years ago, the governor successfully pushed this ballot measure to raise the tax on tobacco. And if you paid attention to the ballot measure, I'm sure you read the blue book, you might remember that the whole goal was to bring in money to fund universal preschool for free. Right. And expanding early childhood education, that's a huge issue for Polis. He ran on this issue. It's been a top thing he's focused on as governor. He frequently touts it. And he's really put it to the forefront, an issue that lawmakers in both parties support. I don't think we know anyone who doesn't back early childhood education. Sure. And he made big progress on it with these tobacco taxes. But the rub is that if the state then goes and bans a lot of these very popular tobacco products and you do manage to get more people to stop using them, there goes your tax revenues. If people buy less tobacco, they pay less tobacco taxes. There's less money for universal preschool. Yeah, that's right. That's a huge question here. Here's Representative Mark Snyder. He's a Democrat from El Paso County. He pointed out during hearings on this bill that Colorado has a real problem. It's created a system that uses sin taxes to fund essential public services. And I'll tell you, I I would love to have the discussion about just how outrageously ridiculous it is to fund things with sin taxes. You know, we've had to shore up the marijuana tax cash fund this year because we've been spending like drunken sailors out of there. We've decided to fund our pre-K, early education, childhood education with this, with tobacco and nicotine, ta- nicotine taxes. The, it, it's, it's ridiculous that we don't recognize that we're trying to create a social policy to get people off of these products, and yet we're funding essential services with the taxes, that the high taxes we levy on those. What's really interesting is that Governor Jared Polis recently talked to CPR's Ryan Warner about this, and he said he had no qualms about using sin taxes to pay for essential services like preschool. We have, you know, gas taxes for vehicles, and we're trying to move to electric vehicles. We have 
sales taxes, there's uh, property tax, there's some that I don't like, like the income tax, which, you know, I'd love to abolish. Uh, but there's a number of different taxes across state government. And, uh, you know, there's a kind of walnut shells moving around. But I, what I, I'm proud of is that certainly some of the tobacco tax, some of the alcohol tax goes to, and also some of the gambling tax. These are vices. I'm totally supportive of them being legal, by the way. I'm not a prohibitionist. But I think it's completely appropriate that at least some of that tax goes towards uh, education, um, uh, addiction recovery, and prevention. Um, you know, those are, those are relevant from those, those activities. And a sort of funny moment I want to mention is Ryan did ask the governor about Denver's mayor, Michael Hancock, saying any type of flavored tobacco ban should be done at the state level. And here is Polis's response. Well, you know, he should run for state legislature if that's what he wants. (laughs) And of course, we're doing this episode of Purplish because there are state lawmakers who are trying to get this done at the state level. Michael Hancock's not the governor, Jared Polis is. And when Jared Polis is not on board and you've got other divisions within the party, not to mention all the other arguments and lobbying, it does make it seem like this is going to be a long shot to get over the finish line, at least in the form that it is. I think the fact that it's been on the calendar for months and still hasn't progressed that far at the Capitol, that that doesn't always mean it's a bad sign. But I think in this case, yes, the, the hurdle to get this across the finish line would be enormous. But big bills like this often do come back a few times, even if they get rejected or they die the first or the second or the third time around, they may succeed in future years. You know, both sides in this fight have been doing battle for many, many years, decades, really. And proponents say they're in this battle for the long run, that they're going to keep fighting for this because they believe it's right. They are fighting for people's health and believe that good government policy can make a difference and can save lives. I talked to Leanne Wheeler just recently, and she's watching this whole thing closely, but preparing for the long run. It's way past time. It's way past time to do something about it. And um, my hope would be that these these elected officials would do the right thing, man, and center public health. We'll see if they do. That's it for this episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleagues Andrew Kenny and John Daly. Purplish is edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. The show will be back in your podcast feeds in two weeks, so if you're not already following, sign up to make sure you don't miss it. This is Purplish from CPR News.